Good morning. Just a, a reminder as a, my goal in preaching is just to communicate what God has already said, not to make it up, not to invent, be creative, do anything like that. Just communicate what it says, try to explain the difficult parts and maybe try to apply it to our lives. But when God speaks, it speaks with authority. It's not my voice, but it's God's voice. And I'm just relaying what God has said. So it's just a reminder. Now, in keeping with that and remembering that, turn over with me, if you would, use, uh, in your Bible to First Peter chapter 1, verse 13. I invite you to turn with me. First Peter chapter 1 and verse 13 says this, Therefore, prepare your mind for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts, which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourself in all of your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. If you address as father the one who impartially judges according to each one's works, conduct yourself in fear during the time of your stay on earth. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to come together and, and just hear from you what you have said in this precious book, I thank you, Lord, for a congregation that is eager to listen, eager to hear, and is receptive to your word. Lord, I pray for clarity. I pray for understanding and illumination from your Holy Spirit so that we understand to the point that we can apply it to our lives appropriately. Bless our time together in this word, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. From time to time in life, our status changes. Um, most of the time in, in small ways. We may not think about it. We move from single to marriage. That's kind of a, a status change. Uh, or we have our first child or maybe children. That's a status change. We maybe we get a, a job. We move from unemployment to employment. And some of the the changes are not so great it's just a small changes incremental changes that we would expect in life some are dramatic changes if you join the army once you sign up that's a pretty dramatic change um when i was in california I had a friend named george we became very close friends he was a just a, a good christian guy and he uh moved here from nigeria and his story, he essentially, the way he described it, he won the lottery in his country. And that moved him forward to get a, um, to the head of the line to get United States citizenship. And they purchased his ticket. They, they moved him to the United States. And that's, that's a pretty big status change. He moved from a, a first or a third world country to a, a first world country. And he didn't hold on to those things that he had in Nigeria. Those things were irrelevant and he was eager to move here. Most immigrants would be like that, I would say. 
here in America. And that's a big status change. Sometimes, sometimes those changes are, are dramatic, big. Uh, we have an election coming up. Now, if you just, as a joke, said, hey, I'm going to write myself in to become the President of the United States. Well, that'd be hilarious. Nobody would vote for you, but you, you could put it in there. And, uh, and then what if just by chance you won? That would be a big, drastic change, wouldn't it? I mean, move from, from little West Virginia up to the, the big house, you know, the White House. I mean, that's a dramatic, drastic change. And that would be more in line, more in comparison to what we see in this passage. A dramatic change. Salvation is like that for the believer. It's a drastic life change. It's a drastic, it's a whole new situation, a whole new status of, of life when God gets a hold of our heart. Now, there's one other element, though, for the believer. And Peter is bringing this out, uh, or that he will bring this out, is that we have a new status here on this earth. We, it's not completed yet. We're not in heaven yet. But our status has changed. But there's another element is that we are behind enemy lines. We're in enemy territory. Um, Christ said we are in the world, but not of the world. In fact, he goes on to say in that same passage, John 17, that the world hates, hated me and it's going to hate you. The same, the same way. We're, we're like sheep uh, among wolves. And we can anticipate persecution because of that status change. Because of who we are and what we stand for. So at the point of conversion, the believer is facing a dramatic shift, a dramatic change. Now, they knew this early on in the early church. Uh, church history uh, tells us that um, because of the persecution, it was during times of persecution, they would sometimes delay baptism until these people were catechized so that they can understand, look, once you're baptized, you're marked for persecution. And you're open game, and, and this is to be taken seriously. And so they would, they would delay a baptism until they understood. We, we kind of understand that today. And in preparation, uh, Peter, in this passage, Peter is preparing the church, the church is in Asia, Asia Minor, for persecution. Um, and he does so in a, in a little bit different way. I mean, you, we may think, oh, oh you, you just... Uh, you, you, you draw your sword like Peter did when the, the army came to, to get Christ. And you draw your sword and, and you're ready to fight that way. And Peter had learned that lesson. Christ said, no, put that sword away. We're not fighting that kind of battle here. Peter is preparing them for persecution by pointing out what God has done for them. Their drastic change. The, the um, incredible status shift that has taken place in their life. These precious saints of this church, he points out that God has caused them to be born again. They have an inheritance which is in heaven. They've been given a supernatural faith here on earth that protects them and causes them to persevere. And that faith actually becomes part of their, uh, like a, a status symbol for their new position. They have a new home. It's in heaven, a new family, a new father. They're, they're under new management. Their life is under new management. They have a new job, if you will. 
And this gives way, Peter says, we talked about the last couple of weeks, that it gives way to rejoicing and praising to God and even appreciation for those godly men who sacrificed to bring the gospel to us, to our ears. That's the flow of thought that we see in Peter's passage here in this first chapter. This next chapter, this next little section here, verse 13, Peter then gives us an appropriate response to that kind of drastic change in our life. It's an appropriate response to this status shift that's taken place. And it's an appropriate response. Now, if I, if somebody gives me a million dollars or two million dollars, something like that, and I say, hey, thanks a lot. We really appreciate it. We'll see you later. That wouldn't be an appropriate response for a million dollars, right? I'm going to show my gratitude. I'm going to, there's going to be more of a, a, a demonstration of appreciation. When God has gotten a hold of our life, when He has drastically changed our status in life, there has to be an appropriate response. And Peter's given us this appropriate response. It cannot be shallow. It it has to be profound. It has to be thought-filled. And that's what we have here. There's a weightiness to what Peter is saying, much more than just a thanks God and we'll see you later. It's a dramatic life-altering change. New status. Now, in light of this new status, this great salvation, God's children must respond in an appropriate way. And I believe, you see this on the screen uh, in, our, in the, uh, the point here, is that we must respond by adopting a mindset of an eternal perspective. That, that is one main thing that has to change. Our whole perspective on life has to change. And that's what Peter is driving at here. And the question is, how does that change? Or what change is appropriate? And and how do we have, how do we develop an eternal perspective? And Peter gives us three elements here of this fundamental change in response to the salvation that God has wrought on our life. And it's appropriate. And it's very easy, it'd be very easy for us to just read through this and just uh, just hear, uh, thanks God for saving me and, and I, I'm gone. No, there, there's more of an appropriate response to this. This is, this is weighty stuff. Now, the first one is found, he gives us three uh, appropriate responses. The first one is found in verse 13. Therefore, now let me just sum that up. Therefore, as a result of what God has done for us, as a result of this salvation that has been wrought in our life he says this fix your mind or prepare your mind for action keep sober in spirit fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of jesus christ now there's three there's actually three commands here but the first two just kind of support the the third one he says uh The first one here is prepare your mind. Literally, it means uh, gird up the loins of your mind. Now, that's a strange saying in our 21st century here. But in that that day and even today in the Middle East, they'll wear the robes, the long robes. And the idea is if you are going to uh, do hand-to-hand combat, if you're going to run or or, uh, do any physical 
labor like that, you would bring that robe up, tie it around your waist, pull in all the loose ends so you wouldn't get your legs tangled up, right? We understand that. We are to do that with our minds. Gird up the loins of your mind. We might use the phrase, batten down the hatchets, or batten down the hatches um, in our thinking. Tie up all the loose ends, we might say. We are to discipline our thoughts and, and don't get them entangled with the philosophies of the world. We need to think clearly. We need to, if there's any questions, any doubts, any inconsistent philosophies that, that might bring, be brought over into our new Christian life, we need, to, we need to cut those off. We need to tie those up. We need to bring those close by and, and, and discipline our minds for godliness. Now, that's the mind. He dresses the spirit here too. keep sober in spirit, keep sober in spirit. The, the word sober there is to, to not intoxicate it, right? There's a sign up on the, the four lane that says uh, drive sober or get pulled over, right? We know that little little statement there. We don't drive under the influence of alcohol. We don't operate this Christian life under the influence of anything else. We keep sober in spirit. Uh, we don't lose control of our thoughts, lose control of our actions. We don't imbibe in the world's sinful system and influence of the flesh. Okay? So, so we, we fix our minds, we prepare our minds, we keep sober in spirit. Now here's the main thought here it says and fix your hope fix your hope now now we've got something to do here this is an an action fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of jesus christ Uh, we are to fix our hope that's our expectation the word hope in scripture is not just wishful thinking. Maybe, maybe this will happen. Maybe it won't. No, this is a confident expectation. And, and it's looking forward to something. We know that this is going to happen. And so we look forward to this. Now, I want you to see this. And, and here's what the believers look forward to in uh, the last couple of verses in scripture. In Revelation chapter 22 It says this, John is the writer here, and he says, He who testifies to these things, that's Christ himself, says, I am coming quickly. This last word should be ringing in our ears that Christ said he is going to come, and he is going to come quickly. And John adds, and I love this, Amen. A hearty Amen. And he says, Come, Lord Jesus. That's all. And and in those three words, he said, Come, Lord Jesus. In those words, there's a, an expectation. There's a hope that, that we see. And really we see throughout Scripture. That's the, that's the believer's anticipation. That's the believer's expectation. We fix our hope on Christ and His coming. He's going to bring with Him the completion of our salvation. That's our, our, our glorified bodies. That's eternal life with our Heavenly Father. That's our soul being rescued from the brinks of of hell to live with Him in all eternity. We're going to be removed from this world, from this sinful world, to a glorious world. Eternal perfection, heavenly bliss with a redeemed body. Communion with the Father, our Father, our Heavenly Father, the giver of life and the sustainer of life who knows how to make us happy. 
And we are to fix our hope. When you get into a car, what do you do? You adjust the seat so you can see front. You adjust the, uh, the mirrors. You've got two mirrors on the side and mirror in the front. You adjust those so you can see. You fix those things so you can uh, drive appropriately. And the idea here is that there's one event that overshadows everything else. The one thing that we're focused on, the, uh, the, we have the blinders on, everything else just pales in comparison. There's a, this is a concept we see throughout the, the New Testament, but one or two places I want you to see this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, this great passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 17. I want to read this quickly to you. Start in verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose hope, But though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. So there's this Carl Dingus is is actually in this this body and this body is decaying. But the real Carl Dingus, he's being renewed every day. He's being strengthened. And because of that, verse 17, for momentary light affliction is producing in, a, in us an eternal weight of glory far beyond comparison. He said, even though this is decay and, and we may suffer some momentary light afflictions, anything that would come into our life in this world is just momentary light affliction. Uh, that doesn't even compare to the weight of glory to th- that, uh, that we are anticipating. That eternal weight of glory, he says... Far beyond comparison. We can't even compare. He goes on to say, while we look at the things which are seen, that's the temporal things of this earth, but at the, that time which, um, but we look not on the things that are seen, but on the things which are not seen. That's with faith into what's going to take place in the future for the things that which are not seen are temporal, but the things which are seen are eternal. That's where our focus is. Let me give you another one. Romans chapter 8, this passage that was read for us earlier. And I agree with Dave, it's a wonderful passage. Romans chapter 8, verse 18. He says this, For I consider the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glories to be revealed, um, the glory that is to be revealed to us, For our anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. That's that's us. And even creation is waiting for that time. And we ourselves are waiting for that time. And that glory is to not even be compared with the suffering of this earth. It's not. There's no comparison. The suffering of this earth just kind of fades in the background when we look at the glory to be revealed. Skip down to verse 22. This whole passage would be so good. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pain of childbirth until now. And not only this, but we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even ourselves groan. Now, this is, this is just the reality of life. We groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for the adoption of sons as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Boy, that's the... That's a summation of our expectations as believers. That's us. We're just waiting eagerly for that. And then he talks about our faith. For in hope we um, have been saved. 
but hope that is seen is not hope. For the hope that, for uh, for the hope for what we hope for, he already sees. Who hopes for what he already sees? But if he, if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. It's a it's a matter of faith. Looking into the future, confidence, knowing Christ is going to return. When He returns, He's bringing the, the completion of our salvation, the redemption of our bodies, and we wait eagerly for that. That's the idea in Scripture. That's the idea. We fix our hope on that. Now, when I was a young boy, what would we hope for? Man. We would fix our hope on Christmas. Man, Christmas is coming. I can be a good boy until Christmas. Because I know it's coming. As adults, we look forward to what? Vacation. Man, I can endure anything till vacation. Vacation's coming. I try to get all the work done. And we work like crazy the week before vacation. We can get it all done. Why? We, we know that that's coming. We, we prepare for that. Our focus is on that. Everything else pales in comparison. Or the older you get, maybe retirement. I have a, a son that's eagerly waiting for marriage. It's a big thing. Everything else pales in comparison to that. We, we may anticipate a job. We Right now, all of us are anticipating what? The end of this COVID thing, right? We eagerly wait for that to be over. The same way, Christians, we focus our hope all on the Christ return and bringing the glory. Sometimes, though, some believers, we fix our hope on the wrong thing. Sometimes we, we fix our hope on the happiness here on this earth. And it's, and it's going to come somehow by politics or, or money or the thinking of this world which excludes God. And that, that's just not going to happen. That's death and decay and temporal and... and uh, affliction. It's just the way it is. Sometimes we look to, to drugs, escapism, alcohol, or, or food, or, uh, or, or music. We, we just want to escape from this world. No, the, the believer looks for Christ and Christ's return. Say, so how do you know what your hope lies in? How do you know what your hope is fixed on? What do you do when you're anxious? Where does your mind go? Does it go, go to, to Christ in, in the hope? Lord, I can endure anything. Just come quickly. I can, we can endure it. Folks, we're not in heaven yet. We're not in heaven. We're going to have afflictions on this earth. You, you just, th- this is not our home. We are uh, not going to find our happiness here. That causes us then to rise above. There's a little detachment here because of this. I have a friend this morning. Just uh, he's a pastor of a church. Has seven kids. He just tested positive for COVID. All of his kids, as well. His mom lives with him. I just think that's a terrible situation. You know what? He'll endure. He'll he'll push through. Some Christians, you, you look at them and you, you you just see they don't have any hope. They just, they live as though they have no hope, Paul would say. And they cry and they, they, they just say, why, oh, why me? And woe is me. And I'm the victim. And pity, pity, pity. 
Folks, we look at Christ and it doesn't really matter what happens to us on this earth compared to the glory to be received. We rise above the circumstances. We plow through. We endure. Now, I know that's not a popular idea. I know it's, it's, it's not psychologically correct to say that today, but it is a biblical idea. God says it. And we are to do it with a good attitude. We're to endure. We're to set our hope on, on Christ and Christ's return. Now, if we enjoy this world, if we think we're going to find our happiness and our contentment in this world more than we yearn for Christ, we're going to be disappointed. We're going to be disappointed. So we fix our hope on Christ. Nothing else. Number two. Number two. Look back at our passage, First Peter. Verse 14, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which are yours in your ignorance. This is the, the way it was when before you were saved, when you were ignorant of these things. He says, put, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourself also in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am a holy Now, the principle here is we pursue holiness. It's very clear. We pursue holiness. Children of God pursue, now listen, the same holiness as our Heavenly Father. That's the principle here. It's not a holiness that's detached from Him. It's the same holiness that comes from Him. It's not just a a moralism. Now, he states this in a... In the negative way first and then in a positive way, he says this, do not be conformed to the former lust. Now, that's just a a way of of saying obey, right? Be obedient. But he puts it in, in the negative. Before we lived by the principles of God's word, folks, we lived by our own lust, our own desires. We're just trapped in this body. We just did whatever this body wanted to do. And that's the a good image of the believer. We are redeemed in our spirit. The real Carl Dingus is redeemed and we're I'm imprisoned in this fleshly body, in this sinful body. And and I'm either going to be influenced or or I'm going to conform to the flesh or I'm going to conform to the spirit. The word conform here is to be to be shaped by or to be fashioned by, much like a a potter would, would shape a, a piece of clay. It's going to be shaped by. And the flesh is going to, to shape us into sinful desires and evil longings and uncontrolled appetites and sensual impulses and unrighteous motivations and urges of the flesh. And that's what's going to shape us, folks. Unless we bring principles into our life and, and the, the spirit into our life that's, that's going to shape us. In fact, we are to kill off all of those desires of the flesh. We're to cut off the, the oxygen flow, the blood flow to those. I want you to see this in Romans chapter 6, another wonderful passage. Romans chapter 6, verse 5. For if we, are, if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we would also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self is crucified with him in order that our body of this body of sin may be done away with, 
So we, we do away with this body of, of sin so that we no longer are slaves to sin. Okay, skip down to verse 11. Even so, consider yourself dead to sin, but alive to God. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust. And you get the idea. The passage is, is just excellent. We have a, a new person living in a sinful body, and we are to, to detach ourselves from this sinful fleshly body with its, its sinful urges, evil longings, and uncontrolled appetites. We're to detach ourselves from the flesh. Detach ourselves. We don't do what we used to do. We don't fall back into our old behavior, our old thought patterns and in, in, in our thinking. That's the, that's the negative side of this. Go back to our First uh, Peter passage. He puts the same thing, same idea in, in the positive way. And the positive way is, is this. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy, right? Just be holy yourself in all your behavior. Every little action of life, be holy. Why? Because it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Who is the I? God is holy. He is the one that's caused us to be born again. He is our new heavenly father. We are to take on his resemblance. In, in that new birth, he's given us new capacity, that regeneration, new life. Be born again is the, is the idea And so now what shapes us is the spiritual, godly desires. We're shaped in godly thoughts, righteous longings of our heart, controlled appetites, unadulterated impulses, pure motives and urges, renewed capacity and ability to do what is right. That's holiness. 1 John 3, John just reminds us, whoever has his hope fixed on him, that's Christ, purifies himself. It's just a natural thing for the believer to do. And the dominant reason that we do that is because we have a relationship with our Heavenly Father. That's what influences it. It's the same holiness, the same family resemblance as our Heavenly Father. Same, same family traits. You ever seen the before and after pictures of people that have had maybe a, a heart uh, heart transplant or uh, had a, a niece that had a lung transplant. Some have had uh, kidney transplants. And before, there's no energy to that, that body. That, that It's just being drained of life. It's weak and, and it's completely incapable of, of doing the, the physical things that my little niece would have liked to have done. But after that, the, the before picture, the after picture, man, she's like a whole new person. She, she just looks healthy. She's able to play tennis and swim and, and hike and run and bike and, and camp and do all the things that she, she had never been able to do before because of her lung. This new lung changes everything. Before, folks, before we were saved, we didn't have the capacity to please God. We didn't have the self-discipline to be able to, to please God. We did whatever our flesh wanted to do. We just lived by its, its lust. We had no capacity for that. Our bodies were weak. After salvation, 
after salvation, we have the ability to be holy. We don't have to follow our lust anymore. We have the ability to be holy. So, we have to make up our mind to do so. That's what Paul is, or Peter is saying here. Be holy. Look at your heavenly Father. Focus on Him. Be like Him. He is holy, so we are to be holy. So we make up our mind. I'm going to do what's right. I'm going to do what's right no matter what the world says. No matter what my circumstances may dictate. No matter how mean my husband is to me. No matter how unjust I am treated. I'm going to react in a way that is godly, with new capacity of love, a soft answer, instead of arguing back. And I'm going to remember my Heavenly Father. Folks, unbelievers don't have that ability. The first step for any of us, if you are here and you put yourself in a category of unbelief, unbeliever, the first step is putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ accepting Him, being born again, relinquishing your, your own rights to your own life, surrendering to Him, bowing the knee to Him, repenting of that sin, turning by faith in Christ, faith and trust in Christ. We fix our hope, folks, on Christ. We pursue holiness. And there's one last thing that Peter tells us to do, and that's in verse 17. Appropriate response to our own salvation is hope and holiness. And number three, it's, it's honor. Verse 17, if you address as father, the one who impartially judges according to, the, to each one's works, conduct yourself in fear during the time of your stay on earth. Now, the, the main verb or the, va- the verb here is to conduct yourselves in fear, right? Conduct yourselves in in fear. That is uh, reverence, awe, uh, soberness, a gravity, gravitas. We might say a holy, uh, a humility in this life. The principle is that we are to honor our heavenly Father. We live in a state of awe and reverence and respect toward our heavenly Father. That's just an appropriate response to our own salvation. We look at Him as, uh, with respect and, and with fear even. A godly fear. A godly fear. No, folks, I, I look at the church today, and not Daniel's Bible church, but I look at the church at large today, and, and I see a party atmosphere. I don't see a reverence and respect for God. I just don't see it. Peter gives us three things here that, uh, in this one passage that will... will kind of promote the fear of God. Notice what he says. If you address as Father, the one who impartially judges. He's, he's wanting, to, wanting you to examine yourself. If you And the word address there is in, in a continuous action. If you constantly, continually find yourself addressing Him as Father, that's my Heavenly Father. That's where my attention is turned to. If you do that, he's talking about that's, that's showing genuine faith. It's a, a way of life for you. That's the condition of your heart. It's a genuine believer. And that should strike fear in us. If I don't, if I continue to look at my own way, do my own thing, and 
But if I continue to look at He's my Father, then that's a good thing. If not, it's, it's fearful. I'm to be afraid. If you address as Father, the one who impartially judges. Now, he could have used any characteristic of God that, that we know of here. He could, he could have said, the one, who, um, the one who is so patient and loving and kind and sweet. The God that, that everybody wants. But he says, this is the God who impartially judges. You say, well, that's a good thing for me because I'm on the right side. Mm-mm. No, no, he impartially judges. Folks, that's a scary thing for us. That's a scary thing. That's not a good thing. This is the God who sees lust in the heart and he sees rape. He sees, he sees hatred and he sees murder and he sees coveting and he sees stealing. He knows our hearts. We're much more wicked than we think we are. And this is the God that sees. He is the God that, that judges. Folks, that's a God to be feared. But He's my Father. Yeah, but He's also the judge of the universe. He is to be feared. And He will judge His children. He will discipline His children just as much as He will the world. Look over chapter First Peter chapter 4, verse 17. He says, For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. That's where it's going to start. There's judgment coming to the church. And, and He does judge the church, doesn't He? He's going to discipline us like a father. There should be fear. The author of Hebrews chapter 12 points that out. Paul points those things out. That God disciplines His children. John points that out. He disciplines His children. He also established church discipline into the church. As, as elders, as as a a church, we are to discipline people out of the church if they are acting ungodly. That should strike fear in us. It's a God who judges. He's a God who judges according to each one's work. Each one's work. That should strike fear in our hearts as well. This is future. He's going to judge at some point. And He keeps a record, folks. And he's going to say to some, I never knew you, depart from me. He's going to say to some, all your works have burned up. He's going to say to some, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I had a, I had a, a grandfather that was very stoic. Um, he was almost unapproachable. And, and that was kind of typical for that generation. Children are to be seen but not heard. Really, not even seen. And I was just talking to my brother this morning. You know, I, I don't know that I ever saw him smile. He came through a lot in his generation. Very strict, very sober, very serious-minded. And you respected him. There was a, a reverence there. And it was a, a fear, but it was a healthy fear there. I never really climbed up in his lap and anything like that. And I understand I understand that that might be an extreme. That that generation saw things that that we uh, maybe don't see in this generation. But folks, I think that we've lost the idea, the concept of respect. It's just almost completely gone. And I understand the pendulum swings from one generation to the next generation. And and there's always reaction to this, an extreme reaction. and, And I understand that. But folks, the Bible calls us to balance 
We are to come boldly into Christ's throne with confidence. We are no longer slaves, but we are considered friends. But folks, there are, there is to be a fear of God in our life. He is going to judge us. He is our Heavenly Father. He is Dad. But He is also the judge in the courtroom getting ready to slam down the gavel and say, guilty. He's a God of love and He's a God of grace. and He's very gracious, but He's also holy. He's also wrathful. And He is the judge of the universe. How do you find that balance? Let me just show you a couple things. and We'll do this quickly. Romans chapter 6, Paul says this, What should we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may uh, increase? That's the idea that we have today. Oh, uh, he's a gracious God, so we just frolic in his grace. And Paul says, no way. No way we don't, we don't do that. We don't, we're not cavalier about our sin. That's disrespectful to this God who saved us. Romans chapter 9, verse 19. You, uh, you will say to me then, this is talking about the sovereignty of God. You'll say to me then, why does he still find fault for um, who can resist his will? On the contrary, now like Paul's stern words here, on the contrary, who are you, O man, who answers back to God? He is our Heavenly Father. But folks, there is a distance there. There's a caution that we need to have. We need to remember that He is the God of the universe. We do not stand in judgment over Him. He stands in judgment over us. Let me give you just one more. I know the time is fleeting. Job learned this lesson. I believe it's just a, a more of a lesson on respect for God. Job chapter 20, he had to learn this lesson. He, he opened his mouth before he should have. And here's what Job says, verse Job chapter 40, verse 4. He says, Behold, I am insignificant. When he gets a glimpse of God's greatness, he, he realizes, I am insignificant. I can't even, I, I shouldn't even open my mouth. And he says, what can, I, what can I reply to you? I laid my hand over my mouth. Once I have spoken, and I will not answer, even twice, and I will not I will uh, add nothing more. And I like this. Verse 6. Then the Lord answered Job. Now this is... He had already said Job's a righteous man. This is Job's God's uh, child here. Then the Lord answered Job out of the storm and said, Now gird up the loins of your... uh, Like a man. And I will ask you. And you instruct me. You want to play big boy ball? Come on, buddy. There's a respect, folks, that we don't have. We don't presume upon God's graciousness. And I'm afraid that we have a a church, in in America at least, that that is doing that. We're frolicking in God's grace and we presume upon that grace. And folks, how we conduct ourselves in this life, in front of an omniscient God... It matters. Now, next week we'll talk about a little bit more about respecting God and how to do that. We respect His name. We respect His day. We, we talked about that today. The, we respect His word. We respect His image, His character. 
folks, in light of what He has done, this new status in our life, in light of His great salvation, children of God must adapt a, a mindset of an eternal perspective. We have to respond appropriately to God's gracious gift of salvation. And that has to include hope, it has to include holiness, and it has to include honor, honor toward God. Our status has changed. Our status has changed. And to have a biblical mindset, folks, we have to change as well. We have to, we have to renew our mind. We cannot stay the same. We can't stay the same as the world. We have to have an eternal perspective. Let me end with this. There's a song that came to mind after I was uh, rehearsing these things in my, my mind yesterday. This world is not my home. Remember that? I'm just a passing through. And it's an old song written a long time ago. We don't hear it. I think it's popularized by Jim Reeves. It was written by J.R. Baxter, and he lived from 1887 to 1960. Now, in his lifetime, he, just, he, he, he was born just after the Civil War, so he'd missed that war. But he did go through World War I. He did see the Great Depression, and he did see World War II. And he wrote this song in 1949. And the key phrase of this song is this. I can't feel at home in this world anymore. I can't feel at home in this world anymore. If you want to sum up the little passage that we just went through, Peter is is right to teach these churches to prepare themselves for persecution. And he does that by showing the distinction that they have in their salvation. And the response is a detachment from this world and and a look at glory to come. We cannot feel at home in this world anymore. It's not our home. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, may our hope be fixed on Christ and His return. Lord, because of that, may we pursue holiness and that distinction that we have in this world And then, Lord, may we live with reverence during our time, during our stay here, this this short, temporary stay here on this earth. May we show a reverence and respect to You. Lord, I thank You for Your grace. I thank You for Your patience with us as as children of God, as as we learn these things, things that we didn't know before. Now, Lord, now that we know them, I pray that we would change and that we would live an appropriate response to your salvation. We thank you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.